0: Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman Podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of The Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to The Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Kimberly Allen. Kimberly owns Gather Farm and Kitchen in the Comox Valley on Vancouver Island. Along with her partner, Dennis, and her daughters, they operate a five-acre farm and business. Kimberly grew up in Vancouver and launched her gourmet food business, Kimberly's Kitchen, in 2010. She moved to Vancouver Island a few years ago with the goal of evolving her food business and farming. Now on their small-scale farm, Kimberly and her family farm vegetables and fruit specializing in garlic, tomatoes, squash, and apples. They are vendors at the farmer's market and also operate their seasonal farm store. They host a number of farm events, school groups, and on-farm cooking workshops where Kimberly shares her decades of professional cooking and baking experience to inspire her community to eat local and in-season food. My friend Kimberly is now the host of a brand new podcast, A Year on the Farm, where she shares her small farm experience and hosts interviews with experts in the field of small scale farming. With weekly episodes, Kimberly interviews women, BIPOC farmers, and LGBTQ2S community folk to offer a platform for their knowledge and provide a small-scale farming resource for those often underrepresented and who face challenges in the agriculture industry. I loved my chat with my friend, Kimberly, and I get to say my friend, Kimberly, uh, because we have been in community for quite some time now, and we share a little bit about that story today here on the show. And Kimberly is going to tell us all about her wonderful farm and share all about her new podcast which i know you are all going to love so be sure that when you are done this episode you check out a year on the farm podcast on whatever podcast player you are listening to the rural woman podcast to today. Kimberly and i also recorded an extended episode of this podcast because I just couldn't stop talking to her. So that has been released to the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast at tier 10. So be sure if you want to hear this extended episode, as well as all of the other extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and my solo show, maybe you can relate, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the rural woman podcast and learn more about how you can support the show financially and get all of these little extra goodies through your earbuds each and every week. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Kimberly. Kimberly, Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so excited to chat with you this morning. Good morning. Yay. I'm excited to be here. I just feel like it's just two girlfriends having coffee here. So It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody just gets to listen to our morning coffee chats. Good. For the listeners who are listening to our Good Morning Coffee Chat, Kimberly, tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture.
1: I'm Kimberly Allen, and I live and farm on the traditional unceded territory of the Comox First Nation, which is on the east coast of Vancouver Island in BC. And I'm actually originally from Vancouver. That's where I grew up. And I've spent most of my life living in cities in Canada and it's only been in the last few years that i actually moved onto a farm and so while i had a market garden when i was living in a rural community in northern bc this is my first farming venture so our farm here is gather farm and kitchen in the comox valley in rural courtney And yeah, we're a five-acre farm, but we only have a portion of it cleared for actual farming and our house. And the rest has been left untouched. So it's a beautiful forest of Douglas firs and animals and a creek. And so we're just preserving that for all the animals that we have living on our property here. And we're in a rather special place. We're in Seal Bay. We're very close to the ocean. We can actually hear the seals in Seal Bay. And so it's own microclimate when it comes to farming as well. So some of the surrounding farms will have actually different weather than we do. So we have to be very aware of our temperatures and what's happening because it's it's very different down here by the ocean.
0: I I'm always in awe of where you live. And I always, it's sometimes easy to forget that there are places as beautiful as that in the country that we live in when I look out my window right now and it is brown and windy. So
1: <laughs> it really is a truly special place. And I have family on Vancouver Island and my parents lived on Vancouver Island. And so I was drawn to move to the island to be close to the ocean. But also, it's just a spectacular place in terms of nature, as well as the food community and the farming community is really incredible here. So, it's definitely a special place. And in fact, lots of people from Alberta move here. <laughs> Welcome.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having us. Uh, yes. <laughs> hopefully, they're nice.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's It's a wonderful community. That's so good.
0: So tell us about how you got started growing food. You mentioned that you had had market gardens in the past before you got to your area where you are now. But what drew you to growing food? What was so interesting about it for you?
1: Well, I mean, I didn't grow up in farming, but I did grow up with parents who could really cook, cook really good, fresh local food. I grew up with a dad who fished and we almost always had a vegetable garden, or my grandparents did. So food was really a focal point in our family life. And then it only made sense when I started my gourmet food business about 12 years ago, and that's Kimberly's Kitchen. And I started that in Vancouver. And my focus really was small batch baked goods and confections made with in-season local and organic ingredients. And that came really out of being a new mother and wanting to know what was in the food I was feeding my children. And I just really embraced making all of our own food and baking our bread and that evolved into my business. And so using local in-season ingredients for those products. And and I eventually became a vendor at Farmer's Markets with that business and started to see the world of local small-scale farming. And I was buying ingredients from local farmers here in the Comox Valley. And it became Evident to me that I was really wishing for a small orchard so I would have my own apples (laughs) and just space to grow my own food. It just was part of something that I had dreamt of for sure. And in the past, when I had a market garden, it was often just to supply my baking business. We had a cafe up north. And so that was just like something fun to do with the kids, but also to learn how to grow my own food. So that was a really good learning experience, but not really on a farming scale. And then I've been a vendor at the Comox Valley Farmers Market now since, well, for about four years. And it's a wonderful series of markets. Actually, they have three locations. I was vending at the Cumberland Farmers Market And it's a very small market and very cozy and everybody gets to know each other. And I was buying produce from one of the farmers there and he would come buy my scones. And so we actually started dating. (laughs) So that's Dennis and his farm was Seal Bay Farm. So he has been on this land for over 25 years and farming here. And then when it became evident that we wanted to blend our families and live here, it was just a natural, we'd describe it as a marriage of our two businesses. So we combined his Seal Bay Farm and my Kimberly's Kitchen to create our new farm, Gather Farm and Kitchen. Since I arrived here, we have grown it exponentially and established our CSA program, a really robust farm store operation. We have on-farm events, school outreach programs, and I do teaching in the community as well in, in food and like baking, that sort of thing. So yeah, so now I have my little orchard. I have about a dozen apple trees, heritage apple trees. We have quince, plums, so, the orchard's pretty special. And it's really nice as a baker to have that food here. And then our farm production specializes in tomatoes, squash, garlic, apples, and rhubarb. That's our focal produce, but we really grow a very wide spectrum of market vegetables. And we this year embarked on four season growing. So I was determined to, as an experiment, feed our family through the winter, not just with storage vegetables and not just with preserved or frozen, but also with fresh green vegetables that we could grow in our greenhouse. So we have a large polytunnel hoop house, and I had just experimented with growing winter vegetables It was a great experiment. We haven't had to buy any vegetables from the grocery store, which was my goal, but also just to test the limits of in our climate, could we be growing food in the winter as productively as in the summer? Could we feed our community in the winter? That was really important to me because our farmer's market runs year round, but the vegetables drop off quite a bit and it's mostly storage vegetables or preserved vegetables that are available. So that's sort of one of the many experiments that I've embarked on at the farm. There are multitude. I have lemon trees and all sorts of crazy things I'm doing here.
0: Oh, I love that, Kimberly. And I love the story about you and Dennis and marrying your two farms to create what you have now. Um, And obviously, those must be some really good scones. uh, So. So let's talk more about your climate in where you live. We were chatting a little bit about this before we hit record. And you live in an area that a lot of my listeners probably don't get to experience. Even the thought of growing in all four seasons. So tell us what zone you're in. And let's dive into some of the changes that you've seen over the last four years at least of being on the island and growing where you do?
1: I think technically we're zone 8AB, although that's not the best reference point. So we do track our last frost and first frost dates and we track temperatures throughout the summer and winter months to have a more accurate timing for whether it's seed starting or direct sowing, transplanting, that sort of thing. So we really go based on what overnight lows and daytime highs will have week by week. Part of the other reason that the zones, the zones don't necessarily, they're sort of a good reference point, but You don't have to travel too far south. Like if you go South Island, we're mid-island. But if you go to the south, they're actually a few weeks ahead of us. And Vancouver, again, a few weeks ahead of us. So that's the other thing to consider in terms of crop planning. uh, You want to definitely make sure that you're using your specific temperatures. And soil temperature here will actually vary compared to a farm only a few kilometers away. So that's an important consideration. And then really, like so many people, we have seen more extreme weather. And we just finished a spell of very cold weather here and a lot of snow. And we don't normally get the deep freeze It typically happens in February in the Comox Valley. And we had it in December, January. And it was like debilitatingly cold and icy and hard for crews to keep up with because it was so much more than what we're accustomed to and equipped for. And so, you know, there's that. There's the unpredictable nature of when it's going to be really cold. And we still had crops in the fields because there's quite a few things that can tolerate winter here that actually do quite nicely. So our Brussels sprouts, rutabaga, daikon radish were still outside and... We just let it all go under the snowfall and miraculously, all the vegetables were still there and ready to be eaten when the snow melted. So that was excellent. Some plants in the greenhouse frosted up a bit, but surprisingly, because the soil is just a bit warmer in the greenhouse, everything bounced back. And so we didn't face too many losses with our winter growing experiment However, we are also planning for, you know, the 2022 season and reflecting back on 2021, we had a heat dome here and our temperatures outside were up to 40 degrees inside the greenhouse. It was we could barely breathe in there. It was so hot. So we lost definitely some of our crops because of the heat dome. We don't have irrigation. We just have a well. And we irrigate our greenhouse, but everything outside is rainwater dependent. So we had to sacrifice quite a few things that had just been transplanted. June and July is when a lot of fall veggies get transplanted out, and we did lose some things. We lost possibly up to a third of our tomato crop, and that's one of our major crops. So that was a pretty significant loss for us. So the heat dome was really tough, and we are not alone in that struggle. It was tough on every farm, no matter what they were growing. And now we're all feeling the impact of that too, in terms of how that's affected hay for animals and that sort of thing. So it's it's been really tough. But then also, I think about when we were in the middle of the heat dome, we were running our CSA program. And we very quickly had to pivot. We replanted as quickly as possible. We started more vegetables in our seed room on heat so we could get them going faster and transplant things after the major heat had passed. And so we had that flexibility to be able to quickly shift and just try and make the best of it. But it was a great learning experience. You know, it became very clear we don't store enough water at the farm and we need to do more of that. And we've been working on that over the winter, different strategies for capturing rainwater. And so that's part of our planning going into next year is just how to be more resilient and how to plan for those extreme temperatures and even what to grow. We had a remarkable season for melons, (laughs) which we're not really supposed to grow here. (laughs) It was pretty incredible. So there were definitely some pluses that came out of having
0: that heat. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And to talk about the heat that affected so many of us in 2021. And then, you know, going into 2022, the extreme cold that a lot of people had that We weren't used to, myself included. So I think it's important what you said about, you know, looking at what's been working for you and how that's not really working anymore and thinking about how you need to pivot for the future and the global changes that I think a lot of people are going to have to make in order to... You know, see what their new climate and their new growing zone is really going to look like because it changes all of the time and you just have to be aware of it and how you're going to move forward in the future.
1: Absolutely. And we were very fortunate that we didn't experience any flooding in November. Part of Vancouver Island was devastated. And of course, so much of South BC was absolutely devastated with the flooding. It was very hard to watch because we could really feel for those farmers so if that's not you know we we felt we narrowly missed that because there was quite a bit of flooding south of where we are and we realized how we need to be prepared for that because that could be our area next time and how important it is it just really highlighted i think for so many people why buying local food as a first choice is so important because we need to invest in our farms that are close by so that they have the you know, cash flow and capital to keep growing and becoming more resilient and investing in infrastructure that helps them grow food more successfully or even just grow more. And so while the heat dome and the floods were all really devastating. I think what's come out of it is a greater consumer awareness about the importance of local food. And I've seen that all over BC with other farms that I'm connected with on social media and how much the demand went up. So that's perhaps the upside to this is that, you know, we're getting to that place where people are understanding it's really important to support local food. And local food isn't necessarily more expensive. I think that's a really, really important myth to bust. And, you know, for example, one of the ways, while yes, sometimes some things can be more expensive than like maybe a major grocery chain, I think there's two things to that. One, if it's good quality meat, for example, we have often just chosen to eat less but the other thing is, I think for Canadians to realize that cheap food is, we're paying for it somehow. <laughs> and so cheap food isn't cheap. That's what I've been talking about a lot this year. You know, that is going to impact the cost of healthcare or our taxes. And so when we can invest directly in a farm or products from a Canadian farm first, then I think that the ripple effect of that is so much more than our health and the economy. And so we're very mindful of that in terms of our purchases as well.
0: Absolutely. And I love that line, cheap food isn't cheap. And in so many ways, all of the ways that you mentioned and things that come to mind, how much of this food goes to waste? And where does that waste go? What are they doing with it? Are they composting it? perhaps, but if you're not, it's going in a landfill. And it's funny, you know, I always bring it back to, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And one of the things that I always thought was, well, if you threw your food out into the garbage, it's okay because it'll decompose in a landfill, but everything is so crushed. It's basically mummified in that landfill and it's not breaking down and it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And You know, now that I know these things, it's like, absolutely not. You cannot throw your eggshell in the garbage bag. Like those things can be put into your plants and where they can be fed to your goats or whatever it is. So,
1: (laughs) yeah. And for small farms like ours, systems like composting are so integral to building the soil and, you know, like just and mulch and all of that sort of thing is how we can do the most with the land and make it the most productive possible. And so those are just common practices with small-scale farming. And something that maybe people don't realize is that people who run farms and grow vegetables, their family eats what we call LTPs less than perfect. (laughs) So we get all the tomatoes that have split or (laughs) the not totally perfect cucumber are the things that we eat and we save the very best of the best for our customers. And so that's another way that we reduce waste because that's produce that a grocery store wouldn't sell. Not that we're selling to a grocery store, but just from an aesthetic point of view and that's like another aspect of how small farms help to reduce food waste, too.
0: I feel like my garden last year, everything fell into that category of less than perfect, and I ate it anyways. So, <laughs> and you know what? They taste just as good most of the time. <laughs> oh, man. city girl turned rural woman Vanessa Rubleski spent years and plenty of dollars trying to find the perfect garden planner that worked for her. She was fed up with spending money on garden planners that either didn't cover all of the basis or contained too much unnecessary fluff. So she decided to make her own. Regardless of your experience level, planning out your garden is incredibly important. You do not need to be living rurally to grow your own food. You don't even need a yard. You just need to be rural at heart. In addition to major planning spaces, the Rural at Heart Planner is a workbook that contains a number of exercises and oodles of tips that get you started on the right foot. What it doesn't contain is all of the extra fluff that a typical garden planner or workbook would. This workbook contains exercises, loads of planning and log space, undated monthly calendars, information on science-based companion planting, and so much more. As Vanessa likes to say, anyone, anywhere can grow food. You just have to be rural at heart. Listeners of the Rural Woman Podcast can receive a free gift with purchase when using the code RWP Gift at checkout. Head on over to the link in today's show notes and get your copy of the Rural at Heart Garden Planner. Well, I would be remiss if uh, we moved forward and didn't talk about The critters that you have on your farm. So tell us more about the other things besides your orchard and vegetables that
1: you have on your farm. Well, we're slowly adding animals. And so last summer, we brought on two little boy goats, and they are really just Family members. They are Nigerian dwarfs. And actually, I first learned about Nigerian dwarfs listening to your podcast, and I became obsessed with them after following, you know, the farms on Instagram and everything. So we actually found a breeder very close by, like literally down the road. And they had twin boys in the spring, and we decided to take them on. So they're David and Patrick. And it's really nice because I have two daughters. So then I felt like I got to have boys. They're a a wonderful addition. Goats are just an amazing animal to add to a farm because brassicas are their favorite vegetable. So they clean up the, we pull out the broccoli or the cabbage or the Brussels, and they love to have those for their salad. We call it their salad. And of course, their poop is really beneficial for our composting and building our soil And they also love to eat just wild weeds. And because most of our farm is wild and weeds and forest, they actually have a whole forest to themselves that's fenced. And they just get to wander around the forest and eat blackberries. And yeah, it's really a lot of fun. And for 2022, we're adding more animals. We will be adding chickens. We finally... You know, we had to take some time to get set up for that. And I'm very grateful I didn't have them this winter because it would have been a bit of a struggle to keep everybody watered and warm. But we're set up for that and we'll be adding chickens in 2022. And also my biggest wish for 2022 is to add two sheep. So we are just slowly adding animals, um, really mostly just to enjoy having animals. The sheep, of course, I'm looking forward to having some wool production come out of that. So we've bonded over our love of goats and cats. Yes,
0: absolutely. Well, and obviously, if you didn't pick up on the goats' names, David and Patrick, (laughs) and if you're not a Schitt's Creek fan, you're really missing out.
1: So, (laughs) Yeah, my daughters have actually planned the names of all of our future animals based on Schitt's Creek characters. And so if they get their wish, we'll have a full cast on the farm, which would include alpacas. So we'll see if we get there. They're heading into high school. So they know that part of the commitment is helping with the animals, which they do. They love to farm. And so, yeah, I'll keep everybody posted as we add animals and we're hoping that when we adopt two sheep they will be Ronnie and Jocelyn.
0: Oh my gosh, so good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're super fans.
0: <laughs> we should honestly, we could probably have like an off podcast about like our love of Shits Creek and goats and all of the things that uh...
1: Yeah, I I don't know there's probably a podcast out there that's all about Shits Creek. I'm sure there is. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, speaking of podcasts, Kimberly, You have recently launched your very own podcast, and you are speaking to the number one fan of the podcast (laughs) for very personal and selfish reasons. But for the listeners listening right now who are big podcast lovers, tell them about your new podcast.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so excited that I have finally launched my podcast A Year on the Farm And it is really about creating an inclusive community for people in small scale farming and primarily women, people of color, LGBTQ2S plus folk. And the focus is there are interviews as well as solo episodes by me kind of reflecting on my journey in terms of small scale farming, things that I've learned and knowledge that I want to share and pass on it became really evident to me one i found it hard to find media that was about small scale farming that was as inclusive as i was looking for and on top of that i knew that with everything that's been going on with the climate that more and more people are considering small farms moving to small farms changing some of their land to a market garden and The more that we can share, the more information that can be out there to help people be successful for new and young farmers, especially, the more we can focus on people being able to grow food for their community. And so that's really where it started. And thanks to you, I was able to actually get it off the ground (laughs) and put it out into the ether. And it's uh, the reception's been wonderful. And I've actually made even just since launching made so many amazing connections with indigenous farmers and black female farmers. And that part is super exciting to me because what I want to do is to elevate their work and also create a place where folks can talk about small scale farming and it feel like a safe place to have that conversation And yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I'm really loving it. And so thank you for all of your support and absolutely love being a part of Positively Farming Media as well. It really wouldn't have happened without that group of podcasters because just hearing what everybody else was working on and struggles and challenges and successes just gave me that extra boost that I can do this. And it also started from, you know, early in the pandemic, everybody was learning how to do something new, like make sourdough bread or whatever. <laughs> and this was one of the things that I had put on my list that I wanted to learn how to do. And when my first interview released, I kind of took a moment to say, hey, like a year ago, I didn't know how to do that. (laughs) And now I do. And for for myself, personally, that was part of it. But also because I know that there are so many people doing amazing things. And I just really want to bring what they're doing into the podcast world, but also provide resources for others.
0: Kimberly, I'm all misty over here. I feel like this is full circle for us. (laughs)
1: It really is. Like, our first conversation was basically why I wanted to do this. And it's now happening. So I'm so grateful. And I'm really excited too because it's been really positive. Like, the comments I'm receiving from people, the feedback has been so positive and warm. And I feel like there is the opportunity here to create a really supportive, community. And those communities are out there too. I'm not saying I'm the first person to do that by any stretch of the imagination, but really just like more, we need more of that. And I have the ability to do that. So, you know, we've got some great interviews coming up with women in farming, women of color in farming, and they're sharing... Their wisdom and experience and knowledge that's all so useful, especially for new and young farmers or for people who are transitioning and changing what they're doing out of a need for us to grow more food. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
0: and like you said, it is not that there aren't people out there sharing stories similar. It's just that we need more of them. And I am the biggest advocate for people who have that calling and they have that vision and they have that idea to do this, to pursue what that's been on their heart that they want to do. And you were my officially first podcast coaching client that I took on. And I wanted my coaching to be something that helped the stories That I didn't have the time or energy or resources to produce all of these stories. I want people who want to start their own podcast, whether it's similar to the Rural Woman podcast or A Year on the Farm or whatever it is, to go ahead and pursue those because we are only one person. We are only one team. We are only whatever. And there are so many stories to share. And I am just so grateful that I was able to be a bit of a year on the farm. You yourself have done all of this work and I am so incredibly proud of you. So again, for the listeners who would like to listen to your podcast, tell them the name of it again and where they can find it on their podcast player.
1: Yeah, you can find it on any podcast player you love to use, Apple, Spotify, wherever you are. And it's a year on the farm. Or you can head over to our website, Gather Farm and Kitchen.
0: Kimberly, I have a final question for you.
1: And I'm dying to know,
0: what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you?
1: I think that for me, what fuels me daily and what I can see being the lasting impact for me personally is the connection with people. Connecting over food is something I grew up doing, and I feel like my life has come to that point where I'm able to connect over food with people. And it's something that seems so simple to have a conversation with a customer at a farmer's market, or a regular visitor to our farm store, or a school group coming to the farm. But really, those conversations and connections are so rewarding and so meaningful and I think in light of everything we've been through in the past year I don't take any of those connections for granted at all and often our customers were the only people we were interacting with <laughs> throughout the pandemic and so it got much more for me but also really highlighted why that's so important and yeah, I really feel that uh, connecting people is what it's all about. And so, yes, we get to enjoy beautiful, delicious food, but it's, it goes beyond that. And human connection is something that I feel like I always take away from this. Absolutely. So oh, good. I knew you would just nail that
0: question. <laughs> Really, for the listeners who would like
1: to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Farm and Kitchen. And you can also find my podcast Instagram at the farm. And you can visit our website at gatherfarmandkitchen.com. Perfect.
0: And I will list all of those in the show notes so people can find you, connect with you, and they can hop on over as soon as they're done with this podcast to download A Year on the Farm with Kimberly Allen. Kimberly, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here today. Thank you so much for your friendship and just happy to know you and so happy that you were able to jump on here today.
1: So thank you. Thank you so much, Caitlin.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media.
1: Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers.
0: We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within
1: a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities.
0: When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right
1: away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.